you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. Don't forget you can help out the show by leaving us a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, I invite you to join the show on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow us at Digging Oak Island. Earlier this summer, our friend and listener Jock sent me an email asking about my thoughts regarding a theory he found, which was formulated by a geologist from Canada named Stephen Aitken. Jock is a geologist himself, and he found Dr. Aitken's work on a website Aitken created, which has made the round, so to speak, on the various Oak Island social media outlets you find all over the place. The work is certainly fascinating, but a little difficult for a non-scientist such as myself to really understand fully. So with that in mind, I reached out to Dr. Aitken invited him on the show, and he graciously accepted. So what you're about to hear is that conversation in its entirety. But listeners, let me first offer up this, uh, for lack of a better word, warning. (laughs) This is a scientific discussion about the geology of the Money Pit, the rest of Oak Island, and to some degree even the surrounding areas of Mahone Bay. As Dr. Aitken explains, he is not an expert on the archaeology of the Oak Island treasure hunt, meaning in his work, He's not factoring in things found over the years, such as a 90-foot stone or a medieval cross, pieces of parchment, or any of those sorts of things. He is focusing only on the scientific data he has collected on geology and what it might tell us about the physical makeup and the geological history, so to speak, of the money pit. If we're going to put this into a category, I would certainly say this is squarely in the category of the skeptic rather than the believer when it comes to categorizing theories. For instance, on his website, he writes, quote, Is there a treasure buried on Oak Island? Not likely, but everyone enjoys a good treasure story, end quote. And then later he says in his uh, findings, quote, The depression under the oak tree with the block and tackle discovered by Daniel McInnes in 1795 could have been the surface expression of this sinkhole. Now, as I'm sure you all know, this is not a new theory to Oak Island. It's one that's been around for quite some time in one form or another. And Dr. Aiken seems to be the man who is currently offering up the best and most convincing evidence behind this theory. It is also a theory which is never discussed on the Curse of Oak Island, despite there being more than one geologist working on the island at any given time. So I thought, and I really thought from the beginning of making this podcast, that we needed to give this theory a close examination and really enter it into evidence here. Uh, If we're trying to uh, discover the truth, as I say, behind the Oak Island mystery, we must give this theory its due. As I say all the time in this show, we have to leave no stone unturned, and that's exactly what we're going to do here today. To to better explain his findings um, and to kind of lay it out visually, Dr. Aiken created an online, well, what he calls in the interview a poster, It's really a high-res graphic depiction of what he's talking about. So with that in mind, if you'd like to sort of read along with the conversation, I'll put a link to it in the show notes here and also on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Uh, Go to either of those uh, social media sites and just search at Diggin' Oak Island. You'll find us. Um, Give us a like there while you're at it. Also, I'd like to invite some real discussion here about this one. Uh, if you have any thoughts about all of this, if you uh, if anything comes to mind, if you have any expertise on the science he's talking about, which I certainly do not, um, please email your thoughts to me at digginoakisland at gmail.com. So after this quick break, I'll be back to talk with geologist Dr. Stephen Aiken. 
And joining me now is a Dr. Stephen Aitken. You are in Calgary, correct? I am. And uh, you are a geologist, and you did some work on Oak Island, which we're going to get to for a second. But I think the first question I need to ask you is, what is an exploration geologist? Well, an exploration geologist is uh, someone who uses a variety of different uh, techniques uh, to look for basically what are called reservoirs in the subsurface. And these reservoirs hopefully are filled with oil and gas, and you gain access to these reservoirs by drilling wells. So basically for a little over 20 years, that was my job, uh, working for various companies uh, in Calgary. Um, and that's what they call an exploration geologist. Now, tell me how we went from that to Oak Island. How did you get interested in Oak Island and what made you take the time to look into all of this? Well, I've always been interested in uh, in Oak Island and I'm sure just like uh, many of your uh, audience members, um, you know, uh, everyone has an interest. I shouldn't say everyone, but uh, a lot of people have an interest in, you know, uh, stories about pirates and sure. you know, pirate treasures and I'm certainly no no different. So as a kid, I always had an interest in, uh, you know, in Oak Island. And once I became, um, you know, a geologist, uh, I started to, to gain a better understanding of not just the geology of Oak Island, but the, the surrounding area, you know, around Mahone Bay, for example. So I did a bit of research, um, you know, on the, uh, the geology of the area. And what really spurred me on was this show, I'm sure a lot of your audience members know about it, The Curse of Oak Island. And uh, to be honest, I quite love the show. Uh, uh, being a geologist, they had all sorts of things that were interesting to me, like drilling and seismic, you know, even metal detecting, all of those things uh, I have a great interest in. But I found as the, as the years progressed on the show, uh, there wasn't really uh, a very good summary of the, the geologist, or excuse me, the geology of, uh, especially the eastern side of, uh, of Oak Island. So as I said, I started to, to delve into uh, technical papers and uh, using that data, I was able to put together um, a poster. Um, you can go to my website and check it out. Um, basically, it focuses on a, a structural cross-section and an isopack around the, uh, the money pit area. So that's what that sort of uh, spurred me on and interested me was the fact that, uh, you know, there was maybe a bit more of a story to be told about the geology at Oak Island that was, then it was, that was being revealed on the, uh, on the show itself. I have to imagine anybody in geology in Canada has to be familiar with Oak Island to some degree. Well, no doubt. And I can tell you right off, right off the bat that um, I am not the first geologist to suggest that the money pit itself is a sinkhole. There have literally been hundreds of people uh, before me, geologists, even non-geologists, that have suggested the same thing. So it's certainly not an original idea that I've uh, presented. What I have done is, is I've gone to those technical sources, gathered the data, and basically standardized the, the data. So I put it all together and I put it into a poster form so everyone can see you know, all the details rather than having to flip from one report to the next. Now, um, before we get to the findings or your, you know, your findings here, tell me about this data, where it comes from, how it's obtained, the, the, the geological data on Oak Island. Is this, is this public information? Is this, did you have to go and do this work? I mean, how does this obtained? Uh, it's all public um, information. It's all in the public domain. Um, there were four main sources uh, that I used. Uh, two of the most important were technical studies that were done in the late 60s, uh, early 70s. 
Uh, one done in 69 by a company called um, Hershey Warnock, or I should say uh, Warnock Hershey. And the other one was done in 1971 by Golder Associates. So those were the two main geological uh, sources. Uh, there was also a... Can I, can I ask why were they done? Uh, they were commissioned by individuals who I think were searching for the treasure at the money pit. So okay. uh, I don't know exactly who it was that commissioned these, these two companies, but they asked them to come in. Uh, they did an extensive uh, drill program, both of these companies, uh, particularly around the money pit. They drilled numerous wells. And uh, I'll get into this later in our discussion, but uh, right. there's all sorts of geological information that you can glean from these uh, from these studies. Uh, but again, I don't I don't know who commissioned them, but it was someone that was uh, looking for the uh, for the treasure at the time. It wasn't the government. Was pretty much what I was asking. <laughs> no, it was definitely not the uh, the government. These were these were private uh, studies that were paid for by uh, you know private citizens. Okay, so tell okay, us what so you found out. So the, the third source was from a report uh, that was, I don't think it was released, uh, but it was done in 1996 by the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. Uh, and it, again, was commissioned by so someone who was looking for the treasure on Oak Island. Again, I don't know who, who commissioned the report. And the only reason I, I got a copy of this is it's posted on uh, Les McPhee's website, and I'm sure your listeners are probably familiar with that website. Yes. Yeah, and there's a lot of really good information there, lots of technical documents and, and reports. So that's where I got the first three. And then the last source, the fourth source, was from the government of Nova Scotia, uh, mainly from their Department of Natural Resources. Uh, they have an excellent uh, interactive online site where you can access geological information, uh, you know, lithostratigraphy, uh, structure, and uh, most importantly, they have what's called a, uh, a karstification risk map, which shows the location of sinkholes, not just on Oak Island, but basically across, uh, you know, Nova Scotia. And uh, this database um, will tell you whether a sinkhole is new, whether it's old, whether it's active, uh, and more importantly for me, it's its exact location. So those were the four main sources that I, that I drew on. Or drew upon. Okay, I was going to ask you just to go right to your findings, but before you do that, explain what a sinkhole is, because I, I don't know that everybody knows that. I think we think of like Florida, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, but they they happen everywhere, um, and you know what, why we track them, uh, and what they are, what what causes them, that kind of stuff. Right. Well, that's a good question. And, and you know, you raised, uh, you know, Florida as being a good example. And there are many, many sinkholes in Florida. You'll see these, you know, graphic uh, news reports and they show houses being swallowed up by these by these sinkholes. And the same thing basically happened uh, in Nova Scotia. And there's there's a, uh, a reason for that. But let me just step back. I have to give you some detail before I can tell you exactly what a, what a sinkhole is and why I think that the money pit is uh, a sinkhole. So the eastern side of, of Oak Island, if you look at what's called the lithostratigraphy, uh, there's a borehole that was drilled. I think it was borehole number 401. It penetrated the entire um, thickness of what's called the Windsor Group. So the Windsor Group is a lithostratigraphic unit. It's composed mainly of an hydrite, which is an evaporite, sort of a subset of what we call carbonates. 
So most of the Windsor Group in that area consists, as I said, of an hydrite. Uh, there's some limestone. There's also dolostone. And interestingly enough, there's also volcanics um, called andesite. Uh, that's a different story. We won't get into the andesite. But the most important part about the Windsor Group is that it's composed in this area of anhydrite. And anhydrite is very prone to dissolution, either in the subsurface or it can be exposed. Geologists call that subaerial exposure. And you get what's called karstification. And karstification basically is dissolution of carbonates, particularly evaporites. So if you're looking at the Windsor Group um, at Oak Island, the Windsor Group is unconformably overlain by Pleistocene glacial tills. And when I use the term unconformity, I'm talking about a, a time gap between those major deposits. And that time gap is about 320 million years. Geologists call that deep time. Now, that is a long, long time, 320 million years. I can tell you a lot can happen to a carbonate during that period of time. They can be structurally deformed. They can be folded, fractured. Uh, they can be dissolved, as I was saying, uh, in a subaerial, even uh, in a uh, subsurface environment. And that's exactly what's happened uh, at, at Oak Island. It appears that the Windsor Group was deposited in what's called a, um, a grobin. It's a fault-bounded system. So the carbonates were deposited basically into a depression. Now, given enough time, some of the anhydrite within the Windsor group was dissolved, and it was removed. So what you're doing is by dissolution, you're removing a significant part of the section. And in the case of um, uh, the uh, money pit at Oak Island, you've removed up to 55 feet of section, and what you're left with uh, is called uh, a cave, basically a huge cavern. And quite often, these caverns uh, uh, will grow to a size where the ceiling can no longer be supported, and they collapse. So this is probably the most important part of information that I got from the, especially the, the two older studies. The well site geologists that described the rock as they were drilling into the Windsor Group they described it as a breccia. And this is the key word, breccia. This is a collapsed breccia. The geologists were smart enough to figure out or recognize that at the base of this uh, 55 feet of missing section, there was a collapsed breccia. So basically, uh, uh, to answer your question, a sinkhole is a cavern in the subsurface that has collapsed. And quite often, uh, there'll be water in the in the uh, you know the the cavern uh, overlying material will sink into that uh, cavern, and unfortunately, some people build houses and you know there's farmland uh, right. sitting on top of these that just they just disappear, and that's pretty much what's happened at the money pit. It's not a very big sinkhole; it's actually a pretty small sinkhole. But if you start to look at all the well bores, and there, I can't recall the number of well bores that were drilled at the money pit, but they were well over, I think it was 50, 60, 70 wells. Yeah. If you start to measure the Pleistocene, what's called thickness or the isopack in that area, you'll see that it abruptly thickens. 
And if you look at my poster, you will see an isopack map or map of the Pleistocene, and you can see abrupt thickening uh, at the money pit. Not just that, but you'll also see that very pronounced thinning uh, within the, the Windsor group. So in a nutshell, that's, that's basically how sinkholes develop. You have to have dissolution in the subsurface, typically in a carbonate, quite often uh, in an evaporite, and uh, basically the ceiling collapses and everything falls in with it. In what I would ask you to give me as the most layman terms you can possibly do, because I am just a podcaster, um, <laughs> Can you explain to me, without the money pit, what the underground of Oak Island looks like? Like what set the scene before anybody drilled or a hole or or bored a hole or shoved a can down there? What what kind of of earth were they go, going into to begin with? Okay, as I mentioned. Uh... The borehole was drilled. I can't remember who the heck uh, drilled that one, but it's, it's called Borehole 401, and it's not in the Money Pit area. It's a bit further to the north of the Money Pit, and that well was drilled down uh, through the Windsor Group into the very top of what's called the Feltson Formation. I, I won't get into the Feltson, but we know, based on that uh, borehole that was drilled, that the rock underneath Oak Island, at least on the east side of Oak Island, consists in part of what's called the Windsor Group. And as I'd mentioned, that's a carbonate and uh, an evaporite deposit. And then, as I'd mentioned, there's an unconformity that separates that Windsor Group from overlying Pleistocene glacial till deposits. So your question, um, just to sort of summarize it, uh, if you drilled a virgin well there, you would you would drill through you know x number of meters or feet of uh, glacial till and what are called interglacial deposits, and then eventually you would drill across the unconformity, which is just a surface, a very irregular surface, and then you would drill into that Windsor Group. And again, there's about 320 million years of time that separates the base of the Pleistocene from the top of the Mississippian. So again, that's a huge time gap you're looking at. So what you think, or what your data tells you, is that whoever discovered the money pit saw the remaining of an already caved-in sinkhole? Like yeah, a sinkhole that had already occurred and then had filled itself back in? Well, yeah, exactly. And as I said, the sinkhole at the money pit is not, it's not a very big sinkhole. So there's probably a, you know, a minor, uh, I guess, expression of the sinkhole at surface. There, there may not have been an expression at, at all of the, uh, you know, of the, uh, of the collapse feature. Uh, but okay. according to legend, I think, uh, who was the, was it the McGinnis boy, I think, has discovered, a, looked like a shallow depression. I yes, guess, right so that's the part of the story, correct. Yeah. Right. And so um, quite often you, you will you will see that you had mentioned Florida. I mean, you can walk all over the Florida landscape and you can see depressions and right. little, you know, uh, holes, I guess you'd say, in the uh, in the surface. And sometimes they're not very deep and sometimes they're they're huge where they swallow up houses. But the one at the at the, the money pit is not very big. There's actually a, a bigger sinkhole just to the I think it's to the uh, north northeast yeah, towards the I east. I think it's called the Caven Pit, and that, that's a classic example of a, of a sinkhole. Yeah, that was a pit that uh, uh, a farmer on there fell into back in the 
uh, eight, eight, late 1800s or something to that effect. Right, right. I think as the story goes, she was out plowing the field. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, the earth opened up and started to sink. And uh, that's, again, the result of dissolution of, of the Windsor Group. Uh, at depth, and then of course everything followed behind it. The Pleistocene dumped into the into the sinkhole, and that one came to surface. I think you can see there's a. Uh, I think it's filled with water. And, yeah, I hate to fall into that thing. Let's put it that way. So the, the cave in pit and the money pit are actually two separate geological events. They're not connected in any way. I mean, other than they come from the same issue. Yeah, they're they're genetically connected for for sure, and. Um, you know, it's interesting too. If you look at some of the um, uh, some of the submarine data, uh, there's a bunch of sonar data that's been shot around uh, Oak Island, and you can actually see uh, the expression of sinkholes uh, even underwater. You can see depressions, and uh, they're clearly identified as as being sinkholes. So the the whole island is at least the east side is, you know, was riddled with uh, with sinkholes, not just like on the actual island, but on the margins underneath the water. You know, on the island. Right. And again, that's just because of the dissolution of the uh, of the Windsor Group. Now, this is a question you might not be able to answer, but um, is that true for like a much broader area of that wor- of that part of the world, or is that something unique to Oak Island? No, no, it's uh, it's spread across uh, Nova Scotia, and the reason for that is because the Windsor Group it has a, a fairly extensive um, uh, lateral extension, uh, and the Windsor Group. Uh, in the Mahone Bay area, uh, Mahone Bay area, like even at Oak Island, it's pretty thin. And the reason for that is either the upper part of the Windsor Group was never deposited in that environment, uh, you know, when it was deposited during the Mississippian, and or it was subsequently eroded. But if you look at other parts of Oak Island, there are much, much thicker packages of the Windsor Group. Uh, they have more evaporites in them. And uh, there are sinkholes all over Nova Scotia. And again, if you go to the uh, the website that I'd mentioned, uh, the Government of uh, Nova Scotia, they have online uh, interactive maps, and there's one called the Karstification Risk Map, and it shows the location of all of these sinkholes. And there's literally hundreds of them in, in Nova Scotia, and there's quite a few around Mahone Bay. Now, again, this may be another question that you may or may not know the answer to, but when you're you're looking at data from the 1960s or 70s and and on how much has all the digging and drilling and collapsing and all of that how could all of that have affected that data by the time it was taken in the 1960s so we're still talking about 120 years of people hacking shovels down there um right do you know what i mean could it have had any kind of effect on what on what on what the data was saying well, I think a lot of people have suggested that. And I can tell you, I've had a lot of uh, positive uh, reaction to uh, to the poster that I that I posted. But I can also tell you, I've had a lot of negative uh, reaction to it as well. And and a lot of people have asked that exact question. You know, like how much effect, uh, you know, would, would sinking a bunch of shafts and drilling a bunch of wells have on that that area? And I can tell you again that. Uh, you're drilling into bedrock. This is something that's 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 hard. It wouldn't matter whether you sunk a shaft into the Pleistocene or whether you drilled, a, you know, a million wells in that area. It would right. not change the the story at all, because again, you you oh. have to have dissolution of the lithostratigraphic unit, which is basically hard bedrock, and that takes you know it takes a lot of geological time to do that. But sinking a shaft into unconsolidated Pleistocene till. 
uh, will have no effect on on whether or not this is a sinkhole. It's clearly a sinkhole. You know, it's funny because as you began to answer that question, I, I realized where you were going with it. My my intention of the question was really, did it make it really hard to get good data? Yeah. <laughs> you know, more, much more so than thinking that maybe what you're reading is the data of all this work already being done. I never thought never even occurred to me, but uh, I, I I see why I see where the skeptic uh, might might have asked that question. Um, right. And, and just to answer your question, I understand yeah. now what you're asking. Uh, you have to remember that a lot of these these holes, you'd have to go through these these reports, but a lot of the boreholes that were drilled were not actually drilled right over top of the money pit. And some of them were, but a lot of them were drilled on the periphery in areas that had not been touched. They were virgin areas. So the information that you're getting from these uh, boreholes, you know, it's basically virgin, virgin information. Okay. Yeah, because that's really where I was going with that was as we move forward with things like seismic scanning and, uh, you know, all these different boreholes and all these different methods being used to try to get a picture of what's underground. It, you know, it seems to me now even more so than 50 years ago or how, whatever, you know, 30 years ago, whenever this information was was collected, that, boy, you're, re- you're really trying to read a jigsaw puzzle that's been thrown up in the air and lying on the ground, you know, rather than actually seeing a put-together puzzle like you would in an area that hasn't had 100 years of digging and drilling and searching and stuff in there. Right. Just yeah. just seems to be a heck of a challenge. Yeah, no no doubt. But as I said, a lot of the, the boreholes were drilled in areas that had never been disturbed by, you know, previous searchers. So, uh, again, the information that you're getting from these these well bores, not all of them, but the majority of them, uh, it's virgin, uh, you know, material that has not been has not been touched. Uh, so I, I guess that's the only way I can answer the, yeah, uh, no, the that, question. That's a, that, that makes great, a lot of sense. Um one of the uh, popular theories involving um, the money pit is a flood tunnel booby trap system. And uh, probably the one of the 10 questions I get most is, um, would there be any other reason for seawater to flood a hole like that other than a flood tunnel booby trap system? Right. Uh, I've answered as best I could, <laughs> but I I would like to see hear a geologist's take on this. Sure. Um, well, two parts to that uh, question. I'll have to uh, to answer that in two different parts. So let's just reflect back on the uh, on the on the money pit, and in particular the uh, the Woods uh, report that was done back in '96. Um, they lowered. Uh, gauges, tidal gauges into several of the cased uh, wells um, in the money pit and also in um, in 10x. And these uh, gauges, they I guess they did two different things. They they were able to well more than just that. They were able to uh, measure temperature, salinity levels, and they could also uh, measure uh, the influence of tides which is interesting enough. So what they did is they lowered, I'll just talk about 10X, I guess they lowered uh, one of these gauges down and they were able to measure the temperature and more importantly, the salinity. And they found that uh, at this particular location at 10X, the top of the fresh water table was at about 12 feet from surface. So they lowered the gauge down through this fresh water and at about 150 feet, they hit a very uh, saline water. So there was a very distinct contact between fresh and saline water. And the measurement of the saline water at 10X was about 25 parts per thousand. 
And compared to Mahone Bay, which is about uh, 30 parts per thousand, it's pretty darn close. And what they notice with these tidal gauges is that the water levels in 10X and to a lesser degree in some of the other uh, wells with boreholes, they are actually in sync with the tides from Mahone Bay. So as the tide came in, the water levels rose in 10X. And as the tides went out, and that's also what happened, is the, the, the levels of water went down. So what that is telling you is that this karstification system I was telling you about, these caves, uh, vugs, and fractures, these are all connected to basically the open ocean. And the connection is not, you know, 100% because of the difference in, in uh, you know, uh, the salinity of the water. As you can tell, it's, it's not 100%, but there, there is very good interaction or interconnectivity between Mahone Bay and what you're seeing in, in 10X. So there's water flowing through that karstification system every every single day, every every minute, every second that we're talking, it's it's happening. And that's common too on offshore islands. Uh, well, it, again, it depends on on what sort of bedrock is underneath. In this okay. case, as I talked to you about the, the Windsor Group, it's it's a bit of a special case because the Windsor was heavily karstified, and you have these big caves and bugs and you know, fractures that were enhanced. So, you know, everything's interconnected. They all talk to each other hydrodynamically. So uh, to answer your question, no, it's probably not common under, under uh, you know, other islands. But in this case, it is because of the unique, uh, you know, bedrock and the karstification and dissolution of the, of the Windsor Group. Now, the other part of the story, um, I have talked to you about uh, these Pleistocene um, till deposits. And they're quite thick, and they actually sit above the Windsor Group. But there are also some um, lithostratigraphic units that separate the till units. So just to give you a brief summary, till is deposited by glaciers. And we all know that there is climate change. And during the Pleistocene, there were many times when, when the climate warmed up and then it cooled down. So when they warmed up, the glaciers would melt and retreat. When it cooled down, the glaciers would advance and deposit. But separating the major till deposits, you'll see distinct lithostratigraphic units. They're are composed of mud, you know, mainly clay silt. But in some cases, you'll get very thick deposits of sandstone. I shouldn't say sandstone. It's sand. It's not consolidated. But the key yeah. factor with the sand is that not only is it highly porous, but it's also extremely permeable. So that's a very important point to note. As I mentioned to you, the freshwater lens on Oak Island extends from about 12 feet down to about 150 feet. So that's a very extensive uh, freshwater uh, table or lens, I should say. And those sandstones that are porous and permeable, they are located right within that water table. Now, something else I have to mention, uh, the well bores that were drilled uh, by these companies, mainly by uh, Hershey Warnock and, uh, and Golder, they were drilled uh, with what's called a rotary bit. Basically, uh, they used a, what's called a tricone bit. And when they drilled down through the subsurface, uh, geologists were able to get what are called cuttings. So the drill bit would dig into the earth, cut up you know, pieces of the rock or the soil, and uh, using a particular mud system, they would be able to get these fragments back to the Earth's surface. And the geologists would be sitting there recording all the information, and they would generate what's called a strip log. And that's what I use to generate all of those, those cross-sections. But one of the most important things that you'll notice if you look carefully at those strip logs is that the well site geologists 
described moments in time where there was a decrease in drilling pressure and a loss of drilling fluids. That's extremely important. And it always happened in those sand bodies. So basically what happens when you're using a mud system, uh, there's different kinds of mud systems. There's like water-based, uh, you know, um, oil-based, KCL-based. It all depends on what kind of unit that you're drilling through. So you pick a certain mud system. But all of these mud systems, what they do is they add weight basically to the column of the section that you're that you're drilling. So if you hit, for example, an overpressured zone, uh, hopefully your mud system is weighted up enough to overcome that pressure at depth. And I don't know if you've heard stories, but in the old days, when they didn't really understand what an overpressured zone was, um, there were many people that were killed on drill rigs in, in Canada and the U.S. because wow. they would hit an overpressured body that had H2S in it. So as time uh, progressed, you know, geologists and engineers, they, they, they have a much better appreciation now of, you know, what they're doing. And back in the 60s and 70s, the same thing at Oak Island. They knew, they knew exactly what they were doing. But anyhow, as they were drilling, they used a, what's called a, a water-based uh, mud system. And I don't know what additives they use. Sometimes they can add things like barite to pressure up the, uh, the mud system so you won't get blowouts. So I don't know, they didn't really say in any of the reports what the additives were, but you can clearly see on these strip logs that there is lost circulation. Um, uh, there was definitely a decrease in, in uh, you know, drilling uh, pressures. And all of that indicates that fluids, the, the mud system, is actually being pushed back into these porous and permeable sands. So to answer your question about the flood tunnels, what happened was back in the old days, once they finished drilling the well, they would take all of the equipment out of the hole. If you did not case the well, and I'll talk about casing in a second, but if you did not case the well, these porous and permeable sands that were charged with fresh water would start to gush water into these, uh, into these uh, well bores, even into the shafts they sunk. They had to use special clays, I think, to pack off the walls and they had problems with, you know, with water flooding into the uh, into the shafts that they that they uh, they sunk, and they had to use pumps and and so on. But, you know, if you were to to walk away for a couple of days and you came back to a shaft that wasn't properly packed back, or into a, a borehole that was drilled without casing, it would be full of water. So I, I hate to say it, but uh, you know, based on my professional opinion, there. There is no, there is no money pit. There is no treasure, and there are no booby traps to <laughs> stop someone from accessing the treasure at uh, at depth. So this is all not just a natural um, occurrence, but also kind of a a natural occurrence helped along by the original people searching down there. Is what you're saying? Exactly. As soon as, soon as you drill through one of these, uh, you know, lenses of of sand, and I should say that the sand lenses they're not laterally continuous they seem to be more uh, lens shaped which suggests that they're probably fluvial like a, you know they were deposited by streams or you know rivers that were probably flowing off the front of the uh, the, the glacier or what are called the proglacial lakes but uh, they're very um, well sorted uh, they have high porosity permeability so that tells you they must have been worked by you know by water and um, I think that's what's happening just as you suggested if someone drills through that or they sink a shaft through that uh, they're going to be plagued with problems of, uh, you know, groundwater right. seeping or gushing into their uh, into their excavation. 
Okay, I have one. Well, I have a couple more questions, but <laughs> one more question to ask you about the money pit, um, and this is involving the event that happened at the end of this particular season, this past season. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, a couple of years ago, according to the show, Marty Lagina dropped a coin, which he calls a toonie, that's a Canadian $2 coin, down into a borehole. This year, however many feet, I forget the number, 10 feet, 10 yards, something like that, further away, they were digging a larger, one of those large cans that they put in there. And in the spoils of that, they found Marty's toonie. So that made everybody think about the movement underground here. Can you explain how, uh, in the natural world, <laughs> how a toonie can go um, 10 feet to the west in, uh, uh, you know, without being aided by uh, booby trap flood tunnels or something along those lines? Right. Uh, well, as, as I, I mentioned uh, in the uh, you know the Windsor Group, I talked about this you know, karstification system, and I described caves and what we call vugs and fractures, right. and yeah, I, I also talked about the um, the tidal gauges that were dropped down into 10x, for example, that clearly showed that there was a, a connection uh, between this karstification system and the, and the open ocean. Wow. Uh, so to answer your question, uh, there's material moving. Uh, you know, through those those caverns, that are, you know, probably, uh, I, I hate to say that, I, I don't want to use the term tunnel because that sort of infers that someone was down there with a right. pickaxe trying to trying to dig a tunnel. But um, I don't know if you remember, there's a video that was taken in 10X. Uh, someone had dropped, I guess, a video camera down there, and they're they're taking a bunch of video. This is this is before I think the Curse of Oak Island, but. It's just incredible uh, video showing a beautiful uh, karst cave. I mean, you could see down this this karst cave. Yeah. Uh, you you could see what are called rills on the side of the uh, of the of the cave, and that's a very common characteristic of, of karstification. So no one actually went down there with a pickaxe and started, you know, hewing out this huge hole in in the, in the Windsor. It was naturally formed over over millions of years. Uh, so again, to answer your question about uh, the migration of the of the Tunians, you know, it's easily explained with the, the fact that there's there's tidal you know um, interconnectivity with with Mahone Bay. So there's water moving across these tunnels, through the caves, through the fractures, through the vugs, and I can tell you, it's not just the Tuni that's moving down there. It's all sorts of sediment and, and uh, various other objects that are that are moving down there. Doctor, this has been. Fascinating. Before I let you go, I have to ask you this, since I'm not a geologist, I'm not a scientist. Did I miss anything? Is there anything else that we should know that while while looking into the geology here, um, did, did I forget to ask you anything? Is there anything I'm leaving out? <laughs> uh, no, I think that pretty much covers most of the, uh, uh, I guess, the most important uh, uh, parts. But I guess one thing I'd like to say, um, you know, I don't, I certainly don't want to. Um, you know, uh, I guess step on anyone's toes. Uh, I'm not out here to crush anyone's dreams or ideas of, of right. treasure being right. you know, buried at the at the money pit. Everyone is uh, entitled to their to their own um, opinion. I guess the the issue and problems that I have are uh, people trying to contact me and and uh, debate um, scientific facts. Um, I don't know if um, you know what a scientific theory is, and I'm not trying to be insulting. When I no, ask of course, that. yeah. 
I think for a lot of layman people, when I say layman, people who are not geologists or you know, scientists in, in general, <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you say you use the term, you know, theory, a lot of people think, okay, well, a theory is probably a hunch, you know, maybe it's an idea, maybe a hypothesis uh, at best, but that's completely different from what's called a scientific theory. And a scientific theory is an explanation of scientific laws that in turn describe scientific facts and observations. So the key word in that is explanation. And the problem is I'll have people calling me and saying, oh, you know, so-and-so drilled this shaft back in, you know, 18, whatever it was. And uh, I can explain the, you know, the, 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 the geology and the money pit this way. And the problem is, and I don't want to uh, insult these people, they're not basing their layman theories on any scientific facts. What I have presented in this poster, although I didn't do the work myself personally, this is based on, on scientific facts that were collected by geologists and engineers who are on site. So I hope this information is not dismissed by people. And uh, I just, again, I hope I'm not stepping on, on any toes, but at the same time, being a geologist and a scientist, uh, I have to work with, with scientific facts. You know, my listeners to this show, um, the question I get the most, the thing that is so intimidating to me because I can't answer it and you can, is the science. I mean, um, you know, sometimes archaeological finds or little pieces of evidence, you know, uh, what happens is we try to fit those into our theory rather than trying to find an answer to them with the science that fits in with the science. Right. You know, and you, you end up instead of, you know, you end up going from a little piece of gold or a piece of parchment, you end up going out to your uh, <laughs> to your theory rather than, you know, coming into it from the science. And I think that that's um, hopefully we've taken a first step here for that um, to, to let people know what it, what's under there, because we don't get this on the show. You know, we don't get this kind of information to really work with and see if any of this stuff makes sense, because it has to make sense within the science of what's under there. Is that, exactly. is that true? <laughs> That's uh, very, very well said. And just one more thing. I'd like to put a plug in for um, a gentleman named uh, Gordon Fader and uh, a lady named uh, Joy Steele. And uh, you probably know the name of the book that they Yep. They wrote. It's called the Oak Island Mystery Solved, the final chapter. And uh, Joy Steele, I haven't actually spoke with her, um, you know, personally, but uh, reading the book, she's done a lot of uh, work on the on the archaeological side. Again, I'm not an expert in that in that right. area, but she has certain ideas and I guess theories as to what uh, what happened on the on the island. But Gordon um, uh, Fatter, he's a, he's a geologist and he's a, a well-respected geologist. He worked with the government of, of Nova Scotia for basically all his his career, and his expertise is on. Uh, Holocene uh, sea level um, uh, rise. So uh, we're in what's called the uh, the, the Holocene, and uh, it's about 11,700 years uh, since the end of the Pleistocene. And during that period of time, there has been uh, climate change. The climate's been warming. So it's his job basically to document uh, how sea level is rising, but more importantly, how sea level rise influenced the coastline of Nova Scotia. So he spent a, a lifetime on this and he teamed up with, with Joy Steele and they, they put together, a, you know, a great book. And he's of the opinion too, that the, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, the money pit is a, is a sinkhole. 
And uh, I had mentioned some of the hydrographic uh, data that was, that was shot, I think, besides uh, Scan's uh, radar. I think uh, he was the one that, uh, that did that. And he identified all sorts of, you know, surficial expressions of sinkholes just off the, uh, the coast of Oak Island. So, again, I just wanted to put a plug in for both of those people. And they did a lot of very good work as well. You know, it's one I, I have not read the book yet. I'm familiar with the theory, um, or or the theories that they present in in their book. Um, I've heard them talk a bunch of times. There are some things that, you know, uh, I, I end up getting my you know uh, become the believer, and you know, I start questioning. Well, what about this? What about that? But the thing that impresses me most about them is it is the only theory I know of, the only book written on a theory in air quotes that does combine both archaeological and scientific. Mostly it's just historical, archaeological, um, you know, uh, conclusion drawing more than anything else, you know, uh, based on a lot of uh, circumstantial evidence at the best. But this right. seemed to be the first one that that put their theory into the science as well, which is where we got to go with this in my mind. I mean, right. you know, anyway. Well, I agree 100%. <laughs> Dr. Aiken, thank you very, very much for doing this. My absolute uh, pleasure, and I hope that your audience will, will take something away from this discussion. So that's it for this episode of Digging Oak Island. My sincere thanks again to Dr. Stephen Aiken for taking the time out and doing his level best <laughs> to try to educate a rather uneducated podcaster, if, I, uh, if I'm honest. As I said in the intro, I'm not going to pretend to totally understand the science behind his theory after talking to him, but I am a bit closer, and it certainly has been an eye-opening conversation, to say the least. If you want to learn more and examine his work yourself, check out his website. I'll uh, put the link in our Facebook and Twitter pages and hopefully in the show notes here as well if I can figure that out. Also, that Woods Hole study he mentioned from a few decades back, that's also available. I've seen that. I'll try to find that as well. It's very interesting. It's definitely worth a look, and it's something that's um, you know been in the uh, parlance of Oak Island theories for a long, long time. So if I find that, I'll post that on our social media pages as well. Dr. Aiken said so many interesting things there, but... I think the one thing that will stand out for me is when he was talking about the footage that we've all seen, the video footage we've all seen from down in 10X. We almost always, when seeing this footage, hear a sort of non-scientist take on, on what the footage is showing us, what we're seeing, what it could be. But then you listen to Dr. Aiken, and what he sees in all this is an impressive and very natural underground cave system, and that's really it. That was a very, I mean, again, to use the phrase eye-opening, that was a very eye-opening uh, little segment there when he was talking about that for sure. And one more thing I want to mention, Dr. Aiken also brought up the book Oak Island Mysteries Solved by uh, authors Joy Steele and Dr. Gordon Fader. Uh, it happens to be another subject sent to me by our friend and listener, Jock, back when he sent me this uh, Dr. Aiken, uh, Dr. Aiken's theory. He sent uh, asking me about this book. Um, if you go back to our last listener questions podcast, you'll hear this conversation that I had. Uh, and I talked about how I have not first not yet read the book and but how I was really kind of put off a bit by the hubris shown just in the title, you know, mystery solved and also put off a bit by some of the issues I had with the theory as presented in some of the interviews. And I've heard more than one interview with the authors. 
well, after that show, Dr. Fader actually reached out to me to try and set me straight a bit. So needless to say, I have the book on order, and uh, hopefully after I read it, now listen, I have a lot of uh, Captain Kid stuff I have to do first, but hopefully after that, sometime before the new show airs, new season airs, uh, I can convince Dr. Fader to be a guest on a future podcast. And another thing, uh, History Channel this past week did in fact confirm a future season of The Curse of Oak Island. Did not say when, um, did not give any dates or anything specific like that. It was just sort of a 30-second teaser uh, that told us uh, we are indeed getting another Curse of Oak Island season in the not-too-distant future. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you do enjoy the show, I ask that you please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen. If you're trying to listen to us on a platform, on a different platform, and uh, we're not on there, uh, please feel free to let me know, and I'll see if I can do my best to get us on there. Somehow, you know, doing this whole rating review thing gets the word out on the show, drives more listeners to the podcast, and that's always a good thing for us. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as I mentioned. Just go there, search at Diggin' Oak Island. You can give us a like or a follow, however it works. Uh, be much appreciated. Great way to follow the show. And as I always say, if you have any questions or comments you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Diggin' Oak Island. <laughs>